Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Caught Offside with Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City. From an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Eh. Eh. All right. I'm I'm looking forward to the podcast. I always am. I'm, I'm, and, and my my spirit and my levels of enthusiasm will rise. But that Liverpool Manchester United game yesterday, it's just one of those. First of all, if you're a neutral, it was a total anticlimax. Mm-hmm. Um and if you're a Liverpool fan, it was an anticlimax too. It was and a disappointment. And it's one of those results that'll stick with you and you just hope when it comes to it at the end of the season, it doesn't bite you in the bum. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you hear? I mean, we'll talk about that game in detail shortly, but did you hear from a lot of people? Because on our last pod, I was I was almost I was really caught off guard with the number of seven nil references that were made in the league. No, I didn't hear anything from anyone because okay. I suppose like there's no erasing that that happened and no amount of nil nil draws will, will cure it. In fact, this was actually a reversion to, to Liverpool Manchester United games. We've seen in the past, probably before the last kind of tranche of three years or so of games where Liverpool have battered them and put up like four five, seven. A lot of the games before that, I remember one particular game, even in early Klopp years um, were nil nils and our, or, or United won them. Uh, so it's not like they were, um, yeah, no, nobody was really. I wouldn't call United fans were celebrating the result as they should, but I wouldn't say there was any like, oh, you're. I mean, how do you say take your seven nil now? I mean, it just happened in March, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's never going away, never. Oh, seven nil, but that's not the point anyway. We we have to talk <laughs> about what Liverpool didn't do rather than what they did do in March. So we will we'll definitely talk about that. A few things from the Premier League over the weekend that we'll get into Manchester City. Again, very interesting. And then later in the podcast, JJ, I am very excited about this. Um, On Friday at around five o'clock, it was leaked out that uh, MLS will no longer be sending its its top level sides to the U.S. Open Cup, that they're going to be sending Mm -hmm. their uh, next 
uh, next pro teams instead. Um, but literally not their first team. Right. Whenever news is leaked on a Friday at five o'clock, it's, it's usually done so for a reason. MLS obviously knew that this was not going to be well-received, was not going to be popular among fans, uh, perhaps among media. So in the second half of the pod uh, today, we're going to talk to Jeff Reuter from The Athletic. Uh, he has a piece up there where he wrote all about this. Uh, it was really interesting, thought-provoking, so we thought he'd be a good guy to have on the show, talk about it, because I've just, you know, sometimes Twitter or X, it, it's not always the best gauge of public sentiment, but I have found with this, people are are red hot in a way that, I don't know, I almost maybe didn't quite expect. Um, so I'll be interested to hear from Jeff and talk more about why this happened, what happens next, should we be surprised by this, all of that. That's going to be an interesting conversation, so stay tuned for that. But JJ, JJ, let's start with the Champions League draw, which took place early this morning here in the United States. Literally um, paid no attention to it, forgot about it. Oh, um, that's good. Uh, well, I've been busy uh, getting out our final uh, merch uh, shipments to people, winging the way across America. Amazing how many different states they're going to. It's so cool. Reading all the addresses is is pretty amazing. Uh, that does um, sound fun, just reading addresses. You don't really have any joy for the process, Andrew. And this process has, has actually been at times like really enjoyable. And you're 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 sending people stuff that's related to us, and it's just so cool the spread of uh, of people across this. I don't want to sound like a presidential great land across this from sea to shining sea. Uh, let the mighty eagle soar. Uh, all that stuff. So it's it's just nice. But I I didn't pay any attention to the draw until you put it up. So now I'm just going to react like. Okay. Well, let me let me be the first to tell you that it happened today, um, and here they are, JJ. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go through them and then I'll 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 give you some of my pairings that stand out. Things like that. You can chime in with yours as well. Um, Porto versus Arsenal. Napoli Barcelona. PSG Real Sociedad. Inter Milan Atletico Madrid. Oof. Uh, PSV versus Dortmund, Lazio Bayern, Copenhagen versus Manchester City, and Leipzig versus Real Madrid. Um, okay. So look, here's here. This is fun. Like I like seeing this and thinking about these matchups. I like thinking that like sometimes it works out in a way that's funny. Like if this were March Madness, Man City versus Copenhagen almost makes sense. Like that feels like the one versus sixteen. Like yeah. it's funny when it works out that way. I don't know if that's what people necessarily want. Um, with with the draw like this, they might want to see. They maybe wanted Man City PSG, but you certainly didn't get that. Um, so yeah. this is fun. The flaw in this is that the first leg of these matches don't take place until mid February. I know it's mid December. I have no idea what a lot of these. There's still a whole transfer window to come between now and then. Who knows the number of injuries that could happen between now and then? The guys coming back, like De Bruyne, whoever. So it's hard to analyze, but that won't stop but us because we... it's fun. No. I, I'm going to race through them right now and I'm going to have a bit of fun with it. So like straight off the bat, the, the thoughts that pop into your head. So Porto versus Arsenal, straight away, I think Porto getting several batterings at this stage or close to this stage in the Champions League by Liverpool in the past. I think this is the game Arsenal should win, but Porto aren't actually that bad at all. Well, well, Barcelona... well, hold on, hold on. Let's stop there for one sec. Easy, easy. Jeez, Louise. Um, so with regards to that one, yeah, Porto, they're not necessarily that bad. They're third in the Portuguese league. They're not amazing. They're so not tearing, they're not tearing up trees. No, I'm saying like what I'm saying basically is that Arsenal have no excuse here. FC of Porto are not. good, but Arsenal might no be the Premier best. League team has an excuse in this, in my view. 
No, none. In this, well, there's only two, so neither of them, and the other no, one is playing like, Copenhagen. So, but like generally, they don't have excuses. <laughs> Newcastle, pro- maybe, maybe, but oh. yeah. At any rate, we don't need to rehash that ground. Yeah. But Arsenal, Arsenal haven't been in this stage incredibly since 2016-17. Um, but they're back in it now, and they have a real shot here to go on a run. They're playing. Well, I mean, we'll talk about them later in our Premier League section, but they're starting to play better. They've been given, I think, a favorable draw. They're going to be huge favorites in this. I think that this is that's that's one that they probably maybe had a little bit of a fist pump. Not to demean FC Porto, but the third place team in the Portuguese league, I think Arsenal can say, okay, we we should do this here. No excuses. Um, you want to keep going? Yeah, Napoli Barcelona, very interesting mm. to me. Obviously, it's the you can call it the the Maradona derby in a way. Uh, actually, that's a stupid name for it. Doesn't really work. Um, I mean, but they they've met before. Um, what what I'm thinking of right now is that okay, Napoli are not really they're fifth in Syria. They're not they haven't had the domestic season following on from from winning the the Scudetto last season. Okay, fine, but they are dangerous, and Barcelona are brittle and frail. And I'm wondering if Napoli could do them. Um, and, yeah. I'm not ready to give fu- up on what Napoli could look like at that point. Like maybe there no, was like a bit of I. an emotional come down at the start of the season. Did you and, did you see you sorry, go on. No, and maybe by that point they'll have kind of recovered and will you know, the league might be lost for them, but if they're clicking, the league is lost, they may find new meaning in just this competition and kind of righting the wrongs of last year. They I'm sure they felt they should have gone deeper last year. And like remember too, Victor Osimhen missed about a month and a half from October to November. Now he came back November 25th. They still struggled a little bit, um, but you maybe it took a couple games for them to sort of rediscover that form. They've won their last two with Osimhen scoring in both of, the, of those games. Um, so yeah, they're another one that I'll be curious what they look like come mid February, early March. They could be Did scary see- for Barcelona. Yeah, well, it was the the duo of of Kvaratskhaya and. Oshiman scored at the weekend. Did you see Oshiman's assist? Oh my god! Oh jeez! All the feelings. So he's he's back to goal on the edge of the box. He kind of keeps it up. Does a keepy uppy with his knee, and then with like with his foot, like so the ball's in the air and he's it's turning. It looks like he's falling over, but he kind of wraps his foot around it, keeps it, centers it back for Kavaratskaya who who lashes it home in off the post. Ah, oh, such a goal! Probably the assist of the season in that. Um, he just had so much to do and there were so many defenders and Oshiman still found Kavaritskaya. So I still think they're dangerous. Um, PSG versus Real Sociedad. Um, the hilarity that could ensue here. Sociedad were brilliant in their group. PSG were not. They were okay. They did the job um, in different form at times. Um, and and like this, this could be a trap game for PSG. And, and it will be so hilarious. This would be so funny if they were to go out to, to Sociedad. Not because Sociedad aren't a serious football team or a serious club. They're not. But PSG aren't. And uh, and the way they've spent their money hasn't been very clever and hasn't reaped any benefits in the Champions League. So so that would be amazing. Amazing. If some if somehow uh, Sociedad can pull that off. And and, and, and they can. I, I'm not sure they will, but they can. Um, Inter and Atletico Madrid. Uh, the Simeone derby. He played for both of those teams, manages one now. Um, Boy, one of those two, those were the two teams on our last pod uh, that I kind of identified both as as individual dark horses that I thought could really go on a serious run here. Yeah. So knowing that one of these two is going to be really, really mad 
to be going out at this stage. They're both they both probably think that they should be going deep into this competition. I think so too. I I think I think Atleti might have too much for Inter, but the only the only thing with saying that is, is that Atleti at times they were good in the group, but I th- I think Atleti will go through. I think Atleti will have too much for them. Um, Scoring loads of goals, and if Griezmann's fit, I think I I think he's a game changer in that one. PSV Dortmund, mm. that is tasty, and it's tasty. This will not be a walkover for Dortmund. This is, oh my god, I'm making predictions now so far out. Um, PSV are lively, and they've got some they've got some some quality players in the side. Dortmund now obviously. Blitz in that group, top in the group the way they did, playing so well. We're we're kind of it'll be tight. It'll be tighter than people think. I think Dortmund will go through in that. Uh, Lazio huge, versus, huge, uh, huge American interest yes. in that one. And now we'll That's... see if we'll see if Gio Reyna is still a member of Borussia Dortmund when that happens because it looks like he might be angling to go in January to some place where he'll play a little bit more. But regardless, regardless of that, uh, PSV. They're, they're kind of looking to do sort of like the anti-leads, JJ, where like a bunch of Americans go to a place and then make us feel worse about soccer in this country. PSV are, are everything that isn't that right now. They are flying with Americans all at the center of it, right down to their their sporting director, <laughs> Ernie Stewart, who kind of put all this together for them. Um, Malik although, Tillman. Although Ricardo Pepe can be in, in a squad one day and and then not be in the match day squad again. He can score a goal in the Champions League and then be left out. So he's got two goals and an assist in his last five matches, despite playing 22 minutes or less in three of those five matches. So So let's not pretend it's all, you know, champagne and roses. Well, maybe uh, maybe not, although one of those goals was a winner in the Champions League. Pretty important. But Malik Tillman over the last couple weeks has been, I mean, you hear from their manager, he's been like their best player. Serginio Dest has been excellent. Um, scored over the weekend, uh, had that, you know, he went viral with that, like that move against Arsenal in the champions league last week. Um, yeah. so this is a nice, a nice opportunity for some of those guys to be playing some high profile matches. That'll be, that'll be fun to see. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I know. Me too. Lazio, Lazio versus Bayern Munich. Why does this feel like, oh, wow. This feels just from the from the names, when's the last time they met in Europe in in the knockout stages? I can't I can't even think. It just seems like a weird two teams to put together. But Bayern Munich are going through. They're Kane, tw- up to twenty goals now. Scored yeah. two over the weekend, I, and I they're about to they're about to go on their winter break. Yeah, so I don't think the nice fascists. Sorry, sorry, Lazio. I don't think uh, Lazio have um, much of a hope in that one. Um, uh, Copenhagen versus Manchester City again. Hilarity round the corner. The reigning champs against a, a a saucy little number who have been playing very very well. And City brittle, uh, dropping points in the in the domestic league, falling away in the cha- in the in the title race there. But they were Possibly. excellent in the group stage of the Champions League, six for six. They, they were excellent, uh, but you know Copenhagen, one of those teams, innovative sides may cause them a problem. Uh, could be closer than we think, and then on the uh, the other hand, it could be like six nil. Yeah, um, I wonder. I, ho- I wonder. Will Copenhagen have a little bit of a just happy to be here kind of thing going on? I, will. I hope not. I mean, I'd like to see them really, really thrive in this one, but I guess we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I would think there's a there's a happy to be here thing, and then Leipzig, Real Madrid. I fancy, uh, yeah, I fancy Madrid to advance in that, considering their form, and I think Leipzig will be a bit off it. 
Yeah, well, we should. I don't know about Leipzig being off it. I guess we'll see. We should mention with Real Madrid already without Eder Militao and Thibaut Courtois, uh, Courtois with torn ACLs, and now another huge one as uh, David Alaba tore his ACL over the weekend. So he's going to be out. His his availability for, for the European Championships are now in doubt as well with that and what's seen as a minimum an eight-month injury. Ferland Mendy also taken off with an injury. He's still being evaluated. So, you know, now they're going to get guys back. Vinicius, Camavinga, Arda Guler, uh, Ancelotti said they'll all return after the holidays. Danny Carvajal expected to be available this Thursday for their match versus Alavis. Um, and like I said, this doesn't happen until mid-February. So they might be remade and just fine by then. But currently... There's a there's a real injury situation going on there that I guess we'll have to monitor as we uh, as we get closer to the start of the the knockout stage. Uh, so that's your Champions League draw. Like I said, mid February, so we we've got some time, JJ. Uh, but no, let's I think go. We warm we warm people up nicely there. Yeah, think. yeah. No, absolutely. We always do that. Um, let's go from that though back to uh, what just happened, and that was of course the Premier League this past weekend. Um, Liverpool Manchester United maybe the probably the biggest rivalry the biggest derby match that that the country has is that is that accepted fact or is is North London derby in with a shout is the am I, am I missing what yeah I would this? I mean North North London derby's in there it's not because Tottenham haven't been as as winningest um over the past we'll say x amount of years then i would think that um no this but, is the biggest game in the land cuz the two most successful teams in english football history well, Tottenham That's have why. been better than united over the last 10 years i know but like they have they just haven't won check, a trophy just check all the trophies you right, have right. and then check all the trophies liverpool have and uh, then come back to me i understand stop um, trying to insert tottenham into everything jeez i can uh, put back into my place oh. um Liverpool had a lot to say about this one after the fact. I, I have some of the quotes. First of all, here. it was a it was a te- let's be honest. We have to call a spade a spade. It was a terrible game. I did it not stank. enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't really no, enjoy it. No, and you what you took the time to it was over, and I could have given you a heads up and said, Don't bother. No, never do that. Never do never that. Do I had that. to I had to watch it on DVR. Uh so I, I avoided the score. I didn't check my phone, my fantasy team, none of those things. Yeah, I'm good at this now. I I'm a seasoned okay. pro at that. Uh, well, and I well, went back I, and watched it. I texted you when it was over. I said, I got to be honest, I didn't really enjoy that. It was a tough watch. It stank. Yeah. Um, after the fact, Klopp said this about it. He said, uh, quote, I can't remember such a dominant performance against Man United. Even the 7-0, they were more in the game. Now it's nil-nil. They probably feel slightly better than us, but we take the point and keep going. Um, Virgil van Dijk afterwards, he said, oh. uh, there was only one team trying to win the game. It's frustrating as we were superior in all aspects and they were just uh, hoping on the counterattack to hurt us. In the end, they are buzzing with a point and we are disappointed with a point. So there's there's probably some truths in these things. There's some exaggerations in these things. Look, here, here's what we know. We know two things, I would say, JJ, about Jurgen Klopp. We'll start with him. We'll get to the Van Dyke stuff too. But with Klopp, we know two things. We know that he's he's one of the greatest managers of all time. And two... We know that he's a sore loser. He just is like he's and, he's, and he has said it himself. He's never hid that. Mm-hmm. Um, so comments like this, you know, this was even better than our seven nil. Like he's not. He didn't say better. He said more dominant. Um, right. I mean, but, but that's nonsense. Word. That's obviously nonsense. No, it's a shot at Man United. This is sore loser right. Klopp coming out. He's trying to make United feel small. He's trying right. to make he's he's trying to make them feel bad about their performance. That they should feel even worse than they did after the seven nil. That's what this is. He's just projecting his own. He's disgusted, and and he needs United to bear the brunt of that. That's what he's doing here. But you know, like 
I don't know. I, look, I don't. I don't know what I believe in, but like the soccer gods, they giveth, they taketh away. What did Klopp himself just say a couple weeks ago, following Liverpool the four three with Fulham? He said they were lucky to win. He had never seen four goals of that kind of quality in in one match in his life, and like, so I don't know. This stuff happens. Like, and to be honest, just talking about the game for a sec. So Liverpool took thirty four shots. They had an XG of two point six eight according to XG philosophy. Like 2.68 XG is a good number, but on 34 shots, like, is that good? Like, no, I, I can't remember. They didn't. It's not like they were peppering Onana with chances. There was they took 12 corners in the game. I can only remember one of them leading to something threatening. Uh, Kanate was a Kanate or Van, Van Dyke? Van Dyke header in the first yeah, half. There was that. And then like Trent Alexander-Arnold. When he was kind of running into the box, they played one off to him. Onana's rooted to the spot. He put it just wide. He would have scored if it was on frame. I don't remember too many other chances where I'm like, how have United not scored yet? It was kind of like, yeah, they took 34 shots, but it was like 30 of them were like always going to be saved or wide or whatever. Like, I don't know. This wasn't this wasn't dominant like the 7-0 was. The most important thing you could do in this game is finish opportunities. And they weren't really close on most of them. No, I totally agree with you that the attack was labored, it was slow, it was inaccurate. And I think, I think personally, I think Klopp got it wrong. I don't think he should have started Darwin Nunez. Why are you starting Darwin Nunez if you know they're going to sit in? Listen, they took a humiliation of, of record proportions in the last uh, two games. We, uh, well, not the last two games, but two of the last three games. Um, the, there was 5 0 at Old Trafford, then there was 7 0. They're obviously going to come and they're going to say we're not going to get opened up. We're going to be tight. We're going to be compact. And Darwin Nunes sat in there is going to do what? You need subtlety. You need like a Bernardo Silva style. You need a, a Coutinho. You need someone with a little bit of. That well, then who is it for Liverpool? Like who well, should have started? That's the problem. That's the problem. I would have. I. I think I would have started. I. I think Curtis Jones could have started. I think. Um, I think McAllister was missed. Um. But I would have done something a little bit different. I would have tried something different because by the end, Andrew, it wasn't like Liverpool. Oh, they're cutting them open. They're in. Look at this invention. Look at this. Look at the one twos, the combinations. It was crosses slung into the box. Yeah. Varane had a great day. Varane had a massive day. If you want to upset Varane, Johnny, particularly Johnny Evans, you need wide open spaces. You need to be able to pull them out of position. That that wasn't the kind of game they were sat in. They knew. Johnny Evans, before the game, could have mapped out in chalk the areas of grass he was going to be in for the entire game. He never got pulled out. He never did anything. Now, there's there's, there's like schools of thought on this. You know, is there a way to draw a team out? Like, do you cede possession to a team like that? You just let them have the ball, and it means they're going to have to come out a bit naturally, meaning you drop back and then create the space in behind. That's Tough way to play, but early in the game, boy, that would have made Liverpool... for a fun watch, huh? If they're just passing the ball back and forth, team to team in midfield. No, no, but yeah, I mean, you let, but you basically you lull United into a false sense of security by dropping off yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think United will get wise to that. But I mean, what do you do when they when they camp in when they sit in like that? You've got to be more inventive, and it was a lack of Liverpool creativity. Klopp always talks about the turnover. Uh, he doesn't always talk about it. He has spoken about the turnover being the replacement for the number 10, meaning if you can win the ball back in a certain advantageous position and you're in, that's as good as having a creative player that can 
you know, slice a team open with a pass. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of times when Liverpool were just inaccurate in the first half where they did have those turnovers. Remember the first, well, maybe like 15, 20 minutes? It was like a Liverpool onslaught. They did not carve United open at all. And there was a couple of times as well. It was just an S-ton of corners. Sobislai, Trent, Salah, overhit passes, or you know, just little inaccuracies. There wasn't that that vibe. There wasn't that connection. And ultimately, it just descended into what a lot of games do, which is like, what do I do there? I'll sling in another cross. I'll see what happens. And that was that was fine for Varane. That was fine for Johnny Evans. United were able to to withstand that. Onana was competent. That's all he had to be. He didn't have to go. Full, did he have to go full length at all? Uh, not one? really. Salah had one shot that was kind of a curler that Onana, I think, kind of smacked away, like outside of the box that he dove for. But no, there weren't too many. I mean, a lot of them were kind of relatively easy. I, yeah, I don't remember too many that were uh, of of much difficulty. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, so I I never like there was. There was a lot of shots at him. You know, the save from Van Dyke, fair enough. Um, Joe Gomez drilled one into the side net. That didn't, obviously didn't pest yeah. him, doesn't count as a save. And United, to their credit, they came up with probably the best chance. They they were one-on-one with Allison And Hoyland, I, I was surprised the XG wasn't higher for that. It was like, what, 0.64 or something like that? They didn't, I, I, again, I'm not sure how that's calculated. But, um... But you know that was a chance. United could have nicked it. Well, that's the they that's could've... the only that's the problem I had with Van Dyke's comments that only one team was trying to win the match. United had arguably the the best chance to do so, maybe even two of the top five. Like it didn't turn into much, but Garnacho was essentially played in one on one with the keeper, and at the last second, I don't know who it was from behind, but he got caught from behind basically as he was letting the shot go, and it wound up being a dribbler on Allison. But Garnacho's opportunity was was as dangerous as any. It felt like Liverpool had throughout the course of the match. So there were two. Two legitimate opportunities where United could have won that game potentially. Uh, so I, I I can't go so far as to say the only one team was trying to win. This is the thing that we get frustrated by all the time. And look, I understand Van Dyke. Roy Keane came out afterwards and he was annoyed with Van Dyke. He said, uh, I'm reading from, I think it was Sky Sports. Uh, Keane said the comments from Van Dyke were arrogant and disrespectful, adding, quote, he needs a reminder himself. He's playing for a club that have won the title once in 30 odd years. Um, now, while that is true, they've also won two Champions Leagues and been runner-up three other times. But whatever, I get Roy Keane's point. Um, but Van Dyke said after the fact, he, he responded to Keane's comments. He said, I like Roy Keane. Um, I think he admitted that it's sort of like heat of the moment. He just came off the field. They were mad. They felt like they were so much better. They could only get a point. I, I get the frustration there. Um, but like this is the the thing we always talk about is I get annoyed when guys like Van Dyke and Klopp say this stuff. They're essentially annoyed that Manchester United, what, aren't playing in a way that would make it easier for Liverpool to play the style they want to play. Like we, we've been having this conversation for, we could pull up the podcast that we did after France, Portugal at Euro 16. Like yeah. we've been talking about this for years. Like, yeah, that they made it hard for you. I don't know. That's, isn't that, that's what they're supposed to do. They've taken absolute hammerings the last two times they've gone to Anfield. So let's do something different this time and not make it easy for them to score seven effing goals against us. That's what they did. They nearly won it playing that way. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, this is an eternal conversation. We've had it for years and years. Um, and the reaction is always the same. They didn't come out to play. And then our reaction is, well, what are they supposed to do? Just come out and let you beat them. If if Liverpool have open open space in behind the full 
the United fullbacks are behind those central defenders, they're particularly gonna score. with Johnny. They're going to score. Yeah. So it's as simple as that. Um, I don't think, first of all, I don't think what uh, Van Dijk said was arrogant. We've, we've heard it a million times from a million players and a million managers in a million different ways. Maybe his was a bit more forthright because, again, I, I don't want to open up a can of worms with you and the Dutch, Andrew, but the Dutch are pretty blunt. And and that can and 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 confident and sometimes can come across, especially football in in the football community, can come across as arrogant. So like, call it arrogant, what whatever you want. Um, and but Keane, what wasn't quoted was, you know, Keane. First of all, Keane is the muscle memory of Liverpool as a rival, and you know he's only happy happy as an ex Man United captain to say uh, they have only won one title in thirty odd years. That that's part of it. The yeah. thing that's not uh, recounted is that. Um, Roy Keane also said afterwards in his comments that, you know, this won't be enough for United. They still have lots to fix. There's no way you can just like say, oh, well, you know, United have done this. Like he's very aware of where United are at sure. and how they're going through a bad time. Um, and, and so like I wouldn't. Um, you know what I thought was interesting, if like and it was fair comment, Neil Atkinson, who we've had on the podcast from the, he, he put out a. a, a, a kind of a game review afterwards for the Anfield rap. And he said, genuinely full credit to them. They were excellent out of possession. Uh, they being United, they were excellent out of possession and didn't really care about being in possession. They made it not their business. This is no way, they, this is no way home for them in the long run or even in the medium run or even the short term. But these had to be able to look at themselves in the mirror tomorrow morning and they can do that. That's exactly that's fair. What they, that's very fair. That is fair. That's what they had to be able to do. United did do that. Um, and I'm not sure. This is one of those games where you're like, you, you, I, it, it'll stick with me for a bit because you're sick that you didn't beat them. But you also, you're not that sick because you didn't deserve, you didn't do that much. You, know, it's not, you didn't blow them away. Um, and in the fullness of time, we'll know whether this is going to cost Liverpool. Yeah. We, we don't know now. Now it's a point. It's a great point for United. It's a point for Liverpool, as Klopp said, and in both sides keep going. Uh, a couple final notes on this. Just a couple moments of minor controversy, I suppose. The Luke Shaw handball decision. Um, I don't have much to say on it. I'm glad it wasn't called. I prefer those not being called as I opposed to what I we've seen in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, and there didn't seem to be much controversy with that. I saw Dale Johnson's write-up. He says it's not a penalty. Um, and then at the end of the game, uh, Diogo Dallo was sent off um, for a descent, I guess, kind of two quick batches of, of dissent. And there was some anger that there was a similar instant incident earlier in the game with Darwin Nunez, where he was yellow carded when he bashed into Johnny Evans and then appeared to be dissent full to the officials as well. And he was not sent off. What Dallow did seem to be of, of a similar nature. I don't know if you'll ever get a referee to admit this, but I just simply, I will forever believe that the time within which these things occur is everything that, they're not going to – if you send Nunez off for what what is a very subjective decision, um, you know, it's not like he went studs up into a challenge. It's it's he yelled at somebody, do we want to alter this game, irre- you know, irreparably um, by by sending him off? That was in the first half, I think, right? Whereas Dallow, his offense occurred, I think, four minutes deep into five minutes of stoppage time. Like – I think a referee will try to make his point. We're we're not going to take it anymore when there's only 30 seconds left in the game and it's not going to change the outcome of the game. If you do that to Nunez with 60 minutes still on the clock, you're changing the referee has now kind of taken the game into his hands. So I, I think that they, maybe they won't admit it, 
But I think that has everything to do with it. The timing would win. If, if they were reversed, Dallow probably had only gotten one yellow. And if Nunez did what he did in the 94th minute, he probably would have been the one sent off. That's the way I see I, it. What, what I what I was interested to see was like, I know Dallow lost his mind. And it's so weird to see yellow, like to be sent off ultimately for descent. Yeah. Not a bad challenge plus descent, not descent plus like just descent. Um, what's, what's curious to me is I feel like I see a lot of stuff that could get you a yellow for descent and it's not never called. I think, yeah, I think the time within which it occurs and look, I don't hear what they're saying. He might've said awful stuff. So, and maybe Nunez didn't, maybe his was mild. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think timing is everything with some of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there but, we go. Interesting game. As far as nil-nils go, that wasn't all that interesting. Like, they still find a way for this to have, like, tons of talking points. I guess, look, I kind of, it's United and Liverpool. They hate each other. They're rivals. Like, if Klopp wants to be, you know, a sore loser about it afterwards and Van Dyke wants to take shots, cool, that's okay. I'm not mad at them for it. Like, it's a rivalry. Be mad. Talk talk ass about them. That's fine with me. Makes it fun. Um Let's continue, JJ. Crystal Palace stun Manchester City coming from two goals down in route to grabbing a point at the Etihad. Um, and again with City, is it lack of ruthlessness that we're just not used to seeing? Um, Pep said afterwards, it's not bad luck. It's deserved. Uh, we give away two points. When you give away this penalty, you deserve it. You see the chances we created and conceded. It's quite similar to all this season. Uh, but we are not able to close the games. That's the feeling. Something just a little different. Yeah, something not quite right. Um, I was uh, I was reading tweets about this afterwards. First of all, I should say that if Roy Hodgson from last week said he couldn't find any joy, he won't miss. There's nothing he'll miss from the game. Well, if you saw him laughing his head off as Pep lost his mind when I think was it when they scored? Uh, was it the equalizer? The penalty. Um, I, I maybe it was the penalty decision or whatever, and Roy is just because it was it was tweeted out of context, uh, and Roy Hodgson is just watching Pep lose his mind and just laughing at him, just kind of laughing at him down the sideline. So there is joy there for you, Roy. Um, I think like it's 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 hard to it's hard to say exactly where the drop was. The missed chances is is a thing. They're they're certainly not as ruthless. Um, I was reading Football 365 um, and they do their winners and losers and they had Manchester City in the loser section and it, it they, they started with this. It should come as little surprise that no team has made fewer substitutions, 48, than Manchester City this season. Guardiola explained his preference for working with a smaller pool of players in September saying that to be effective, you have to be starting regularly. That's why when you recruit, you have to look for players who can play in two or three positions. Um. So is it possible that the losses of Gundogan, Mares, Laporte, um, Paul Palmer, uh, basically what they're saying is like this squad is slightly less less optimized. There's less options. There's more expected of the players who are playing regularly, and that this is a drop off. Um. So, like it's it, it's hard it's hard to know. I don't I, I don't think there's like <laughs> I don't think there's a definite answer for this, except that it's 
it's bloody hard to keep going, even with their resources, keep going season after season. They've lost a few pieces either to injury or to just being sold and moved on. And they are, they're jaded. And, and when a team is jaded, mistakes will happen and they will, and, and they won't be rootless. That's what I'm looking for. I, I honestly, like, you know, I was, I was very much trying to, to stave off, um, saying that they're out of this or they're gone. And and I don't even want to say that right now, but it certainly feels like, uh, it certainly feels like they're, they're slipping away. And now JJ, they go off to the club world cup. That's where, not uh, going to help anything. Tomorrow they play the Urawa reds from the, from the J league in Japan, um, in the semifinal. So it is a, you win a lot. It means you, you play a lot. <laughs> they, they've got a busy fixture list. Uh, Holland has missed the last couple games. Grealish has scored in three straight, so he looks good. But yeah, I don't know. Something something's just a little bit off there. And so so let me ask you a question then, because we've seen this now. I mean, this is now City have won what once in their last six? That's crazy. Um, so let me ask you the question. Your it's gut for rea- league, Andrew. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, your gut reaction answer, just right away. Who's the best team in the league right now? Arsenal. Wow. So Gary Neville, I saw on his podcast, he said Arsenal are Man City's only challengers, and he's picking Arsenal to win the title. They're top of the table again. Um, that was a nice win for Arsenal over the weekend. Roberto De Zerbi said, uh, I think Arsenal are maybe this season the best team in the Premier League. Uh, he, he also went on to say Brighton are not used to suffering that way. Right. And and he De Zerbi is, is dead right because Brighton tried to do their little thing of building out from the back, playing through from the uh, from the basically the goalkeeper through the pen right through the center of the of the um of the six yard box and Arsenal's press was was really put them under pressure. There was a little period where you thought Brighton uh well the first half it was nil nil at half time and you thought well Arsenal actually looked pretty good. Brighton haven't done a whole ton. Um but Arsenal were Arsenal were really really good in, in terms of stopping Brighton doing what they like to do. That said at one nil, Pascal Gross misses a chance where I, he he's gonna again. I'll be thinking about Liverpool drawing with Man United all week. He's gonna be thinking about this all month. Uh, it should have been one one, and that puts a different complexion on it. But Arsenal got the second goal, um, and then they kind of were off to the races, and and it was a very very good performance. And as we talk about, you know the, the, the words du jour, they did suffer. Brighton suffered in a way that. I mean, basically, Brighton have been Arsenal's bogey team for the last what yeah. three or four years. So this was a this was this was a bogey that got wiped and and put in the trash can. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible. That, that well, hasn't worked. At all. I get what you're doing though. You're trying. They that's all that matters. Blew the bogey away. There you go. I guess. <laughs> um, you know, we we cited we were talking about Arsenal a couple weeks ago. We and we mentioned I think it was Amy Lawrence her article where she kind of she kind of compared them to a band that was struggling to kind of find it like what what made them successful in their first album struggling to find it in their second one. yeah and so she in her article yesterday at, uh at the athletic she included this quote from arteta which i think is true um he said uh, i think the team is clicking because we're experiencing more and more spending time together uh, when you talk about kai or declan for example now they've played more time with us they understand certain things quicker and it's easier to understand certain things in games because they get it that is true 
uh, maybe we didn't give quite enough credence to it, but like guys like Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, even the keeper, like David Raya kind of is part, is one of the guys that they think should be starting their attack from out of the back. Like those are important pieces that maybe take a couple months to adjust to a new setting. Couple that with the fact that, you know, Arsenal got hit with a lot of injuries at the start of the year. Jesus, you know, even Martinelli, Saka, like we talked a lot about that front line being reshuffled. It felt like week after week. So maybe like we wondered, why aren't they clicking? Why aren't they clicking? Well, maybe it's a little more simple. You had really hugely important new signings that were still getting adjusted. And you had some of your best players who were hurt and in and out of the lineup. And now guys have settled back in. We're in mid-December. They've had a chance to play together for a little while now. And this is what it looks like. Maybe it was. Maybe we shouldn't have been so confused. What's wrong with Arsenal? Maybe it was pretty clear all along. Yeah, maybe. Um I mean, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. They were dismantled at Villa Park. Dismantled. So maybe they're just, of all the teams that have that are competing, that have the flaws, that have the issues, they're the least flawed. And that they're finding their rhythm now. Um, but yeah, there was even there was times against Brighton, you're like, they still lack that little cutting edge, but they haven't more than Liverpool had against United at the weekend. This is fascinating. This could be a really fascinating... Um, second half of this season. Oh, it's yeah. fascinating right now. What am I talking about? I think so too. Uh, a couple other notable moments from the weekend. Um, this is a terrible one, JJ. Tom Lockyer oh, uh, suffered cardiac arrest um, for Luton Town. Uh, their match against Bournemouth was abandoned after that happened. Here's the most recent statement that I've seen from Luton Town. Uh, Our medical staff have confirmed that the Hatters captain suffered cardiac arrest on the pitch, but was responsive by the time he was taken off on the stretcher. He received further treatment, uh, received further treatment inside the stadium, for which we once again thank the medical teams from both sides. Tom was transferred to hospital, where we can reassure supporters that he is stable and currently undergoing further tests with his family at his bedside. We would like to thank everyone for their support, concern, and loving messages for Locks. Um, now, it, this has been noted repeatedly in the time since, but if you didn't know, this is not to this extent, but he had a similar episode. At yes. the championship playoff final back at the end of May, he collapsed on the pitch during that match. Um, he was then, uh, after that, he was diagnosed with an atrial fibrillation. He had heart yeah. surgery, and now he and then he was subsequently cleared to return. This is now, I mean, look in the immediacy, the thing to do is to talk about how grateful everyone should be that he's that he is okay um, and he's being treated and he's in stable condition. Thank God. Um, but he'll want to know too, this is two heart episodes in a fairly short amount of time, uh, one of which occurring after he had a surgical procedure to hopefully have it corrected. Um, I don't know what the future holds for him, but I'd be, I'd be concerned. I'd be, I'd be really concerned. And, uh, you know, we hope, we hope he's okay, of course, but to see this happen now twice and you saw, you know, Rob Edwards at the end of the game, he was really emotional, when he came out, um, when the game was abandoned, the players and, and Rob Edwards came out to kind of applaud the supporters. You know, he's seen this guy. He was there for both of these. A lot of his, the teammates, too. They've seen this happen twice to this player. That's concerning. It's it's very concerning. It is. And um, so I, I, I guess, you know, the surgery that he, he, he underwent over the summer hasn't worked. I don't know. Or, I I couldn't. Well, we don't. We don't know. Or maybe it has worked. Maybe there's something else. I don't know. Um, he had an atrial fibrillation at Wembley. Yeah. I don't. I don't it's know. Like it's a type of. It's a type of heart arrhythmia. 
Yeah, and to see Rob Edwards walk around the stadium applauding everyone in tears, like yeah, um, which I thought was strange, a strange thing for him to do. Um I, I, I appreciated why he wanted to to do that and applaud the fans and, and you know kind of lend a sense of but it seemed traumatic for him to do it. Uh, well, it was a but, highly yeah. emotional moment. It was, it was. But was there a need to applaud all the fans and just go around the stadium when get himself I, down the tunnel? Like, I don't, know. I don't know. I'm okay with it. I think it was yeah. kind of a nice gesture. I don't know. Um, but we hope more than anything that Tom Lockyer is okay. And uh, I don't know. We kind of a wait and see approach as to what the future holds for him. Um, yeah. In terms of more on the field stuff, JJ Everton, they win again, four straight wins. People are saying Europe is on. Hey, in a world where that 10-point deduction doesn't happen, who knows if it gets appealed and wiped away, I don't know. But they, you could say that. They'd be It'd on be 26 amazing. points, right? be amazing if they did that. Um, and it's so funny now the juxtaposition of what happened. Daesh goes back to Turf Moor, still wins. But he goes to a Turf Moor that's been radically overhauled, but is not better than how he left it in terms of uh, league position. So right. they have... Uh, they had 63% of the possession, Vincent Company's team. <laughs> it's like, Deich will continue to Deich. Um, But yet they had more shots. On, um, Everton had more shots on target. Um, okay, Burnley had more shots overall. But it was... Uh, he's been he's been great, Andrew. He's been... The improvement's been there. Um, you know, I just... It's, it's, it's hard for me to see a team... Uh, that has, you know, Michael Keane started, Dwight McNeil, uh, Jack Harrison, uh, Dominic Cambert-Lewin, and just like, look at this side. Uh, Cambert-Lewin's a good player. He's should... good. Yeah, but I, it's just such a mishmash. It's still such a hodgepodge. And they're they they're doing brilliant. It goes to show you, good players are, are very, very important, particularly at the highest level, trying to push yourself into that upper echelon, that rarefied air. But coaching matters just so much. We've oh, seen J- it with Emery. JJ, if manager of the year voting was today, look, Unai Emery would win it. But yeah. would you be? Would it be shocking to find out that Deitch was runner up? No, no, it so. wouldn't. And you just you just analyze what he's done with with what he's had to work with. And that's really that's the. I mean, what did we say? Their their transfer window was just a total car crash. The summer was just a mess. I mean, they, who did they sign? Like Ashley Young, yeah. Oh my and god, he's, yeah. He's, uh, Ashley Young, Jack Harrison got in eventually, but even that didn't—that nearly didn't even happen. Nothing needle uh, moving. It, there was nothing that moved the needle really. I, I mean, they got Beto, who I mean, doesn't play all that much. No, he yeah. scored, but um, yeah, just, just truly, truly great work by the Dice man, and um, yeah, he can be, he can, he can be. He can be proud of, of what he's done so far. And um, I'd love them to get Europe without getting the 10 points back. That would be amazing. What a slap well, in the face. I mean, how the Premier I don't League know. that would be. I don't know how possible that will be, but anything's uh, possible, Andrew. Yeah, Beto's only started four games, Robertson. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and then finally, JJ, uh, one other one I wanted to mention Tottenham, they win. Uh, they win again, but it comes once again at a bit of a price. So I felt terrible for Brendan Johnson, who goes back to Nottingham Forest um, and then uh, is forced. Uh, you know, it's probably a game that he had circled. And then he's forced to leave in the first half with the with what looked like a concussion, but I guess it was just a deep wound. 
Um, he came off really woozy. I thought, oh, he's concussed. Oh, man. But I guess Ange said after the match that it wasn't a concussion. He just said a, a deep gash on his head. Either way, not great. Not what he wanted his first game back at that place to how that to, uh, should go. So he lost him. Then Destiny Doggy uh, picked up another yellow. So he'll mess, uh, miss Tottenham's next match against Everton with a yellow card accumulation. And then, JJ, there's Eves Basuma. I don't know... How many of these guys do Tottenham have now? The, these players that have basically a target on them. Uh, Basuma was sent off straight red. No real controversy to it. His second of the season. So he's gone, his second red of the season. And it's still December. We haven't even turned over the calendar yet. So he's gone for four games on top of the three that he already missed previously for his other straight red. Seven games of a 38-match season that this guy, that one of their starters in midfield in the first month who looked like one of their best players, you know, seven out of 38 games, he's gone for red card suspensions. What This is so like, and by the way, he may miss two months because when his suspension ends, he goes off to Africa for a cup of nations. So depending on how far Molly go, he may be gone for over two months for this team. It's, it's it was, it was a ridiculous tackle. Yeah. And they got Just a couple, the, like him, by the way, this was on the heels last week. Christian Romero, we didn't talk about, in their 4-1 win against Newcastle, late in that game, games decided he could have been sent off with a challenge. That's That could have been two for him this year. I don't know what this is. I don't know if these are just, like Romero might just be that type of player. We've always said that about him. Basuma, I didn't know, but now he is. You got two reds in the first few months of the season. Now you're one of those types of players too. Is this just these guys? Is it... Is this part of some weird byproduct of Ange Ball where maybe players are put in precarious situations where this stuff becomes more likely to happen with the way they defend? I don't know. Probably not. That might be unfair to Ange I don't Ball. think so. But, but right now, if you look at it, um, Tottenham have 46 yellows this season, which is tied for third most. And they've got four reds already this season, which is tied for the most. It's a little weird. I mean, I mean, they're, they're pressing, they're flying into tackles more. Yeah. I mean, they spent the last five years sitting off. So, you know, <laughs> just tackling optional. Uh, so I suppose maybe that's a part of it. Uh, we know. need to talk about Matt Turner, though. Uh, that was my by the way here. So he's Not starting good. again, which is good. Mm. But. But. The but. I mean, the butt is huge. Uh, Forrest are, are pushing second half, trying to get back into the game. And uh, the ball is at Turner's feet. He does the thing that quarterbacks are always told. He kicks across his body. It is weak. It falls straight to Dayan Kulishevsky, who is 1v1 with the uh, Nottingham Forest defender. Goes by him. He is bearing down on goal from an angle. He shoots. Turner, for some reason, gets far too low and far too weak, and it goes straight through his hands. He should have batted it away from a more upright position, and he is... It's two nil, and he's crestfallen. Yeah, he looks, smacked the ground, and he looks in anguish. And it's hard in in both the first instance and the second instance. It's hard not to say he's got to do better. Yeah. He's got to be better. That said, he did make a couple of nice saves. Turned one around the post. He had a few moments where you thought, yeah, that's that's the guy we know. But um, his kicking is not like that one. I know what he's done. I can actually. He's been pressured. And he's trying to get it off quickly, and his angles are just all wrong because he gets no power, anything. And again, throwing across your body, kicking across your body is is it, it's harder, it's riskier. 
because the torque you need to swivel with your hips to generate that power isn't there at that angle. And um, honestly, he would have been better if he just kicked it out of play, just like ripped it out of play. And um, he didn't. And so, and so now we have a question like, does he, is he going to survive there? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not what, not what you want to see. Certainly. Um, from Turner, I was asked JJ. I wonder if I have it here. Somebody tweeted to me about the the um, dilemma, I guess, of this because it's it's the the coming together of my U.S. men's national team love with my club team love, uh, and how do I feel about something like that happening? Um, I don't know. I hope this doesn't make me a bad fan one way or another. I separate the two. I, honestly, right. I, I'm going to be honest. I love Matt Turner. I feel horrible saying this. If he hurt, if he listened to this pod and heard me, I'd feel sick about it. But like, I was happy when it happened in that I'm a Tottenham fan when I'm watching Tottenham play. I don't know how else I can't help it. It's just, no, that's fine. You can't constantly be like uh, mentally babysitting a uh, U.S. men's national team players <laughs> through games. And I try, you know, I do all either. that I can, but, yeah. uh, but when it happened, my, my, my instinct was to yell and be in a good way and be happy. I'm sorry. Like I, after the fact I've watched it, I thought, oh man, no, Matt, I feel bad. But that in the moment, that's where my head was at. So I don't know if that is the answer that I forget who it was on Twitter that asked. I apologize, but yeah, that's just how I felt. Um JJ, we're gonna talk to Jeff Reuter in just a moment about what's gone on in the last few days with the US Open Cup and MLS and all the controversy there, because it's a fascinating situation. Um, but before we do that, I just want to wish everybody a Merry Balls, Miss. And I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh the season bottom for- of your Santa sack. Oh. The season for a fresh cut is finally here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming have just launched their fifth generation lawnmower to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. That's right. So take care of your special snowflake with Manscaped and watch your South Pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all by going to manscaped.com using the code CAUGHTOFFSIDE for 20% uh, off plus free shipping. Mrs. Claus will thank you. JJ, I'm I'm proud to say, it had, I'm not going to lie, it had been a little bit since I used it. Took it out the other day, used it. Great experience. Could have been easier. The cleanup, uh, the lack of pain, which was always a part of my previous experiences when doing this. It was it was a cinch, which is exactly what this is supposed to be. You don't want to mess around. You don't want any anything dangerous uh, when you're dealing with that part of the body. Um, and so I can tell you just from a few days ago, easy as could be. And I'm very pleased with the results, JJ. I'm I'm delighted to hear that. I am I myself are going to have a, a, a pre-flight trim and uh, just get you know. Get part of the checklist before a big trip. You, you pack. Yeah, I, you know, following on from you, I might try and uh, carve some kind of, uh, you know, Irish historical site uh, into Good my into, into my pubes and uh, just fly off to Ireland. Good idea. Uh, so get 20% off and free shipping with code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code CAUGHTOFFSIDE. Our thanks again to Manscaped for being a, a sponsor of this podcast for as long as they have. We really, really appreciate it. It's a great product. We can we can attest to that personally. Uh, JJ, fascinating conversation with Jeff Reuter from The Athletic coming up next. We're going to talk about MLS and their decision to essentially pull their first teams out of the oldest ongoing soccer tournament in this country. Really something. More caught offside still to come. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, we mentioned this at the start of the pod, but a, a few days ago, MLS announced that it would no longer be sending its, its, I guess, top teams, its first teams to the U.S. Open Cup, but instead they would be sending their MLS Next Pro teams instead. Uh, needless to say, this announcement has stirred up quite a bit of passion and conversation among American soccer fans. So we wanted to continue that conversation to help us do so is Jeff Reuter of The Athletic. He has a really, uh, really interesting, good piece up at The Athletic right now. Go check it out. Jeff, thanks so much for joining, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you you have to understand, I don't think I've ever been asked to talk about the U.S. Open Cup in the month of December in uh, seven years of doing this for a living. So this is, this is frankly a career milestone in some ways. And uh, looking forward to having the conversation yeah. we were going to have you anyway to do a very early preview but then this news broke and we thought oh i guess we'll right. change gears <laughs> yeah. here we were we were all looking forward to previewing round one uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly. the original plan That's right. um so jeff we know in looking at what's happened here we remember back was it may when don garber made mm. those comments where he, he basically he questioned the quality of the tournament now people heard that and i'm wondering in hindsight how should those comments have been received were, in the moment? Were they received as a warning that this could happen or was MLS pulling its teams out? Like, was that never even something that was on anyone's radar? It was on radars. Um, I think I had a lot of people send me that. So, so just a little bit of background about me right now. I cover major league soccer, football in Europe, world cups, men's and women's, right? Like my, my scope is, is broader, but I did get my start covering the lower divisions of American soccer. And so I do still have, Plenty of contacts who are working in the USL, MLS, Next Pro, NISA, used to work at the NASL, whatever the case is. And when they saw those comments in May of Don Garber saying that this is not, uh, quote, a competition, uh, it's a very poor reflection on what it is we're trying to do, we being Major League Soccer at the highest level um, of the game. People looked at that and said, well, wait a minute. The, the first thing that they're going to do is pull their teams from the U.S. Open Cup. Like just you, you can kind of see it with how they dissociated from the USL, moving their affiliate teams out of the second division championship and third division League One and starting MLS Next Pro for their own U23 teams um, to operate in sort of a, a pseudo professional. It's a sanctioned third division league. It is professional, but make no mistake, it is a U23 league. Right. So there are already some some scars that hadn't quite fully healed from that process, admittedly. And then you see it's a poor reflection. Okay, well, what's a poor reflection? The fields of USL teams, of independent teams, of semi-professional teams that advance that far into the competition. Okay, so the thing was, the backlash to those comments was not nearly what we're seeing this weekend, but it it was 
strong enough where people assumed, okay, they've been humbled a little bit by it. They're going to have to you know, walk it back a little bit and then say what Don Garber did say that summer, which is we are going to continue to work with U.S. soccer to remodel, revise this tournament to give it that sort of vibrancy that it needs to survive. Um, It wasn't until August that I really started to hear, hey, these are going to be in conversation. And in hindsight, you know, I I think that that's something I could have pushed harder on just the fact that those conversations were happening. And that was something that the league did allude to on Friday. Um, But it still seemed like it was years away. It seemed like the, the scale of change they were proposing to the oldest competition in North America and the oldest competition of its kind that is still functioning, even if it did have its two gap years. Um, it just seemed very hard to believe that they would just pull the plug on it right away, especially at a time when the Open Cup got a boost, just like every other league in North America when Lionel Messi was playing in a semifinal and when there were talks that he could be in the final and it was a big storyline that he missed it, right? And the idea is, okay, he has no issue playing this competition. If Lionel Messi is still getting up for these games, what excuse does anyone else have to try to pull out of these? Uh, Jeff, is is how much did the success and uh, future expansion of of League's Cup play into this decision? Yeah, massive, massive. Because then that was a big part of what they pointed to. JJ is the fact that it was, hey, look, we have um, schedule congestion issues. We have so many games going on. LAFC just played an MLS Cup. They didn't advance to the final of the Open Cup or the League's Cup, but they still played 53 games this year. That's far too many. We need to cut them down. But it does not take long to sit there and say, well, wait a minute. Why is the schedule suddenly more congested? Right. You threw up to seven more games in this synthetic created for streaming competition that you have that is exclusive to your league and Liga MX. This is not invitational where you're going to be able to say, okay, let's just rotate in. Let's bring in the Superliga. Let's bring in, um, you know, the winner of Copa Libertadores and throw them into the arena, right? Like, nope, you're not doing that. (laughs) You're just playing the same games with the same two leagues over and over again. And every summer saying that that is more important than the 110 year history of soccer in the United States and Canada. Not Canada, sorry. They're still going to be playing the first division teams in the Canadian Championship. So here's where you run into a couple of other things where it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Is the logic fully fleshed out in here? Because Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver will still be playing in the League's Cup and their Canadian equivalent of the U.S. Open Cup. D.C. United does not have a team in MLS Next Pro, which means they will not be able to compete any of their players throughout their organization in the U.S. Open Cup. So that's four of your organizations that are either still playing even more games or won't be playing any at all as a result of this. And you just look at that and you just say, so (laughs) you're just trying to replace regardless of logistics, regardless of sporting merit, and regardless of the fairness to all 29 active members of your league. You're going to go ahead and move forward with this because of the league's cup. It just it doesn't quite add up. It's hard to justify from the sporting side. It is a business decision through and through. Well, with all that being said, it, this might be early. I don't know that anyone has an answer to this yet. In terms of the automatic qualification spot that the U.S. Open Cup delivers into the CONCACAF Champions Cup, mm-hmm. are we still anticipating that to be the case moving forward, or is that going to be evaluated as well? That's under evaluation. Those decisions are usually made on an annual basis. Um, I think UEFA operates somewhat similarly. With them, it's a coefficient, right, where you say, okay, we're going to have the spare spots. You know, it used to be 31 and 32 would be the two federation or the the two national programs that are doing the best, or sorry, the two league systems that are doing the best, right? Right now, it's Italy first and England second. And I think that there's like a similar calculus in terms of how many spots you award, but the Open Cup always looks like one that's solid because it's you won the domestic cup competition 
And because the U.S. is one of the two, or Major League Soccer is one of the two top leagues in CONCACAF, that's a guaranteed spot. Mm-hmm. So the idea then is that, yes, if the USL is going to try to tur- like make lemonade out of these lemons that they've been handed, you have access to the CONCACAF Champions Cup now. And that's a huge thing. MLS has also, like, one of the first questions I'd asked was, okay, so if Columbus Crew 2, the champions of MLS Next Pro this year, or last year, come back and they won the U.S. Open Cup, would you send the Columbus Crew 1 team into the arena? And no, they would be, they would, they understand that for optics, they would need to send that MLS Next Pro team into the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which also means that you could have a situation kind of like what Red Bull runs into every Champions League, where you have like Columbus Crew 1 and Columbus Crew 2 entered into this tournament. But that's even more cynical. And you can't spin that as, okay, well, Salzburg has its own history. Leipzig has its own history that we completely ripped and shredded and turned into our own thing over a decade ago, right? This is just purely our one team and our two team qualified. So Again, logistically, sporting-wise, it's a mess. It's very hard to justify this as something that has sporting merit. And I, I think, frankly, it's naive to even attempt to frame this as like a, okay, well, then for the good of the game, this does nothing good for the good of the game. This decision does absolutely nothing good for American soccer. Right. I, you know what? It's a good time to get into this, Jeff. I was going to hold off on this question. Um, I was going to ask, you know, was it even necessary? Because we all know Arsene Wenger in the in the late early two thousands was billed as the guy. Well, he's going to destroy the FA Cup. Look at these weekend right. teams he's putting in. But but Arsene Wenger never at the start of the season announced, or the Premier League never announced that they were going to put no. a weekend team in. So like they didn't have to do this. They could have just played whatever teams they wanted in the tournament. Every club is, has the right to do that and and save their players for League's Cup. But that's not the question I want because I think that's a fairly obvious one. Um, This surely feeds into the view. If you've dipped your toes as I have, I mean, I say I dip my toes, your whole foot is in... (laughs) I hope I'm up to the heels at this point, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of deep in, in the... In the weeds, in terms of lower league soccer in America, mm-hmm. the pyramid mm-hmm. and MLS as a nefarious Death Star, um, this surely feeds into those who already hold the view that MLS has nothing to do with, has no interest in growing the game in the US, but it's solely about growing its revenues. Yeah, it's um. So for years, a lot of those claims seemed a little premature or a little bit underwatered like just in the sense that you know if you're really going to try to grow that route it's going to need a good foundation to actually spring from and i just couldn't find where that fertilizer was for that plant right the the idea that major league soccer is you know actively trying to kill like and, and there were steps that looked cynical don't get me wrong there always have been anytime that yeah. you see them look at the success of fc cincinnati and the usl and the us open cup and me say hey it looks like cincinnati is suddenly an american soccer market let's bring them into major league soccer right um similar things happen with austin the exact same thing happened in st paul minnesota um there are a lot of examples where you have an organization nashville where you, you plucked them directly from the lower divisions orlando city and then they become thriving vibrant American soccer markets to the world, but they already were within their own markets, Portland, Seattle, Montreal, all of these started from the second division of us soccer and then rose up through an expansion process. But at the same point, it always looked like, okay, this is their market research. This is part of it. Yeah. It sucks that the USL and the NASL, its predecessor were not getting compensated for losing their most successful members. But at the same point, 
more markets can come in. And now they have a blueprint, a template that worked with these cities, and you can bring it into El Paso, Albuquerque, all these Louisville, all these other places that are currently some of the best markets in the country and are operating at a second division level. But when you look at something like this, like yeah. it's one thing when you say we need to separate from USL, we need to let the USL do its own thing. It doesn't want our reserve teams. And that was fair enough. I think you could sell that as still being for the good of it all. If that was the level that was going to be, or the level of seriousness, some MLS teams were going to treat their reserve team, their affiliate. Um, but this ultimately is beyond the pall. You just don't care. You know, you, you don't care about the the 114 year history of the U S open cup at this point. You do not care about, um, the fact that you have taken the marquee competitive matches for every team in the country that does not play in Major League Soccer completely out of contention. There is no way that you can replace having LAFC travel to a second or third division stadium and make it up to them in the lost revenue, the lost upset potential, the lost groundswell of momentum that they could have. If you look at Sacramento Republic's run to the final two years ago, there is absolutely nothing you can do to make up for that. Uh, if, if you were completely saying, hey, look, this competition that you have that we've all been saying is the biggest continuous cup competition of its kind in this country, and you were completely pulling out of it, you just turned it into the Papa John's trophy. We're throwing our U23 teams into it. Congratulations. This doesn't matter to us. There are no two other competitions <laughs> that right. can make up for it like there are in the English pyramid, right? Like right, you don't right, have the right. League Cup and you don't have the FA Cup. So you're basically saying that there is nothing in this country that comes close and we're going to completely you know, close the windows to the VIP room at the top of the pyramid. And there is no way that any of you can dream of accessing playing this game at the highest level against our teams, unless you schedule us for summer friendlies. And by the way, we want the gate receipts for that. So it's it's very difficult to yeah. see this as anything else than MLS taking the wrong lessons from the Super League. And, and it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a broader spectrum. It's a different scale. But at the same point, it is saying that ultimately soccer games only worth it if they generate money, if they're played at the highest level. There is no room for history. There is no room for the organic nature of games that you find in a cup competition. Um, instead, we are only going to play what we can package and sell as being elite entertainment. And if we can't sell um, a, a team of... 28 to 32 year old journeymen knocking off the the reserve team who are playing with some of our first team members, as has been the case for the last decade. Um, if we can't sell that, you can't sell soccer. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you can't sell the upset potential, uh, who was it? Mariner FC, the like sixth division club that made a run to the second or third round of the FA Cup a couple of years ago. Yeah, everyone right. loves that. Right. Like everyone absolutely loves a story like that. Everyone loves when but even. Yeah, remember, sorry, Jeff, to go to Crossroads. Remember Christos a few years ago? Oh, the, yeah. The liquor store, right? The liquor store, basically yeah. basically started out the as a liquor store. Florida soccer soldiers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those stories yeah. are amazing. I, 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 like, it was such a buzz. I know it's it's completely changed now, but it was such a buzz to see FC Cincinnati knock out the fire. Oh, yeah. I, you know, in, in a full college stadium. And this is the thing that was built organically. Like, it's... Yeah, and it, ESPN picked it up, right? Like, yeah, the broadcasters they, took notice and put it on the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah, and and they had both games. They had the Chicago game, and then they had the Red Bull, the second right. the game after that. The semifinal, so yeah. Seemed, this just seems like uh, Don Garber doing some kind of football protectionism. Well, and keep in mind, by the way, Don Garber just works for the owners. This is MLS yeah, right. team owners. Like it, it's yeah, yeah. easy to, and this is something I have to fight to. Don't get me wrong, but like it, he, he responds to his bosses. His bosses are the 29 clubs ownership groups. And so ultimately at the end of the day, this was something that was bandied about at 
league board of governors meetings and MLS cup and all these other things. And people sitting around rooms saying, you know what? Open cup, not for us. Nah, like it just, it doesn't do anything for us. It's not the, the biggest profit generator that we have, but come on. I mean, like I, I know all three of us are, are on the same page on this one where it's just yeah. like, okay, but you don't understand what you are limiting for everyone else in the country, yeah. not just right. professional. But, but again, but again, these are people and I'm on my soapbox here, but these are people who are in their position who only think about where they are. They, right. they, 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 their, their status as billionaires. Robert Kraft didn't get anywhere thinking about a liquor store in Maryland. <laughs> he just didn't. He thought about Robert no. Kraft and building his thing. And so right. they have, they have no idea nor care for the common man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we are in lockstep, but I, I do want to mention though, and look, I can't prove this, but I, I do sometimes get the feeling through friends of mine who are soccer fans or just the, the general vibe that you get. There are legitimate soccer fans in this country that might be upset about this decision, but I also feel like probably can't tell you the last two teams that have actually won the U.S. Open Cup. Mm-hmm. So with that being the case, if we accept that as some kind of reality, is there more that this tournament could have done that could have continued to make itself appealing in some way to MLS? Who are the last two winners of the FA Cup? Of Copa del Rey, right? I, I would I would yeah. guess you, like, you know, my, my Premier League affiliation is AFC Bournemouth, and I could tell you that most Bournemouth fans probably don't know who won the FA Cup last year because they or didn't they have make to a think. run in it. Right. right. Right? Like, they didn't make a run in it, so you stop paying attention to it, right? And I think that uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, a competition is only going to matter for the people who are involved in it, a cup of that kind. Like, League's Cup, once a team is eliminated, I'm pretty sure most MLS fans were, if they were watching it, they were watching Lionel Messi's games, and that's about it, right? Like, <laughs> let's just be realistic about it. Yeah, and sure. I, I think if you're... There are a lot of things U.S. soccer needs to do, regardless of whether or not MLS is sending its first teams or its second teams into the arena every single year. It needs to find a consistent, coherent, professional broadcast situation where fans know where they can watch their games and they can expect a baseline level of quality of those broadcasts. Last year was a lot better than when it was run by some uh, MLS's marketing arm. Um, you saw them finally halfway through the tournament strike a deal with Paramount to get games on Paramount Plus and on the CBS Galazzo network. Those are very necessary steps. That is the exact sort of place those games belong. It's not going to be akin to a major league soccer game. It's not going to be as sellable to certain subsects of fans as even the second division of U.S. soccer will be. But it's not about that, right? right. I think at a, at a certain point of it, you just kind of have to fight the 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 instinct that's being punched into us over the last decade which is that this is a money generator above all else and i get that there's sustainability but this goes beyond that this is not about financial security anymore they're fine they i promise you they can afford to continue to play these rotated squad games away at usl stadiums this is not hurting their bottom line at all but it is also not doing enough to meet their standard of what they need to generate to justify it on the schedule when they have these other competitions in their minds. And I get it. I get the 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 wanting to give credence to these decision makers for saying, okay, you have market research. You have experience in business where you can transfer lessons learned outside of soccer and put it into that. But that's treating it like a business. There's something romantic about a cup tournament. And at a certain point, you just, you, you can't, you can't force fans to choose. 
You know, like I, I think at a certain point at the end of the day, you're you're ultimately saying, okay, either you're going to continue to stay right with us and trust us that we're going to give you a better quality of game every year. But at the same point, we are going to break from every other soccer league in the world you've ever seen. And we are not going to play in our domestic comp- competition. And you have to be okay with that. And and I mean, you saw the statement from the ISC supporters, um, the, the kind of central body for soccer supporters in North America. They're not happy about it. They were not consulted about this. They didn't want this. So now what do you do? If your fans aren't happy with the decision, you have to make some decisions. And look, ultimately, this will come down to U.S. soccer again. Like I said, there's a lot that they need to do. I only got to the broadcast, but we have to get to the professional league sanctions. And right now, then, which is the gu- the guiding document that basically says you're a first division, you're a second division, you're a third division, you're not a professional league, right? You, it's just like a pass-fail rubric of baseline guidance. It's what got the NASL sunk in 2017 because they didn't meet certain criteria of it. And one of the first things listed to be a first division professional men's soccer league in the United States, you have to play in the Open Cup. You have to play in all eligible competitions that are made by U.S. soccer and CONCACAF. If you can't fulfill that, are you a professional first division soccer league in the U.S. pyramid or are you your own thing? And so that's what they're running into now, ultimately. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see what the Federation does. Yeah. So just a bit of, uh, I suppose, housekeeping on this one, Jeff. How interlinked or tethered, or is the tether being broken? I think it was broken 2022, but how linked is U.S. soccer to um, MLS's own Soccer United marketing? Mm. Like so, so, so Paul McDonough of the president of of USL, right, is is going to talk to U.S. soccer about this, and mm. I'm sure he's going to complain about this. Um, how much? Oh God, here I go. <laughs> how much in the pocket of MLS is U.S. soccer? Uh, we're going to learn the answer to that very soon. Um, because professionally, optically, um, contractually, they just, they dissolved the relationship from some in 2020, at the end of 2021, going into this new deal where, uh, you have to load up HBO max to watch the U S men's and women's national team. Right. So, (laughs) which is a whole other thing, like, whatever, we'll get into that later, uh, another day. But, um, since then they are not in cahoots for financial decisions. However, it would be very naive of me again, or any of us to assume that us soccer does not take cues from major league soccer, just like the FA has to take some cues from the premier league, even if it's not part of the EFL, right? Like at a certain point, the first division of men's soccer is going to have an outsized amount of influence on what the federation does. And so this is pretty much a chance for us soccer to give a pretty definitive answer do they answer to major league soccer or does major league soccer answer to it if they say look if you want to be a first division sanctioned league and enjoy all these privileges of it you have to play in the tournament it was yeah. spelled out 10 years ago the document the pro league standards have not been updated since 2012 or 2014 you knew this going into it we are not going to let you get away with this or they will say okay you have your ideas you want to do this for one year okay we'll let you try it for a year and we'll have the conversation next winter it's okay don't worry about it. And if that's how they treat this, then we have even bigger worries <laughs> to wow. try to figure out. Um, it will be very, very difficult to imagine. Um, Major League Soccer is too meticulously curated of a league and its structure, its rules, and its decision-making. You saw the Ross rules that came out last week. They promised big changes, and then they really, really yeah. underwhelmed with them. Yeah. Um, this is not a league that will go out ahead of its skis to get publicly ridiculed unless they believe with full 
their own decision making and you know whether they're right or wrong depends on every single decision but uh they do not make these rashly and so they've been talking with just u.s soccer no other part of the pyramid since august about how this could possibly work u.s soccer put out a statement that they weren't expecting this but they probably picked up some hints along the way there was even um I, they interacted with the CEO of U.S. Soccer on the flight back from MLS Cup from Columbus to New York. They shared a flight, apparently. Um, so, OK, if that's the case, you probably talked about it if you were going to announce it five days later. Right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how in the pocket one is of the other. We'll see who's in whose pockets. Um there's a lovely little kangaroo metaphor there. I just can't quite word it, um, <laughs> but we'll we'll figure it out. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's going to fall to U.S. Soccer to either grant this plan, which right now it is a plan, but historically we don't have evidence of U.S. Soccer saying no to MLS about things of this nature. So we'll see if they start now. Fascinating. Uh, last one, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I know you you spoke before a little bit about. Don Garber and the league, he's essentially a reflection of what the teams want. Um, But I am curious, is there unanimity behind this decision? Have you heard anything from individual teams who were kind of like, we were cool with rotating our squad and then being in a semifinal and then oh, oh, let's just go try and win a trophy now. Like, are there teams out there who are like, I'm not fully behind this thing, but the league is, is the driving force here. Is that the case? Or is this really everyone in one voice behind this decision? Yeah, Andrew, it's one of those things that's kind of tough to tell, too, because like the the votes never made public, like what the Board of Governors was. But I can tell you, I've had members of eight MLS organizations text me it, with some level of, of prominence, whether it's the sporting side or the, the marketing communication side, uh-huh. uh, who have decision making power at the club. Um, I've all reached out to me and said, what is this? We did not ask for this. We did not want this. We actually saw it as a really good way to educate our fan bases about our up and coming Academy kids before Tyler Adams was a starting um, fullback turn midfielder for the New York Red Bulls. He was featuring for them in the open cup, right? Things like that, where it's just like, I want them to get a soft introduction to the first team. This was the perfect way to do it. So like, yeah, it looked like an insult, depending on the opponent, depending on the round, depending on the scale of rotation. I think the Galaxy rotated in 10 MLS Next Pro guys for a game against Monterey Bay, um, Mm -hmm. a USL club. So, you know, your mileage may vary. But at the same point, they saw that as a sporting benefit. They saw that as a way to give, you know, there would have otherwise been an MLS regular season game that same Wednesday if the Open Cup didn't exist. So at least now they're able to rest the legs of Carlos Vela and bring in a younger alternative for 90 minutes, right? Um, And in general, they just liked the atmosphere. (laughs) They liked the break from the norm. It doesn't feel the same as an MLS match. Uh, Anyone who's been to an Open Cup game will attest to that. It it feels different. There's like a a, a more relaxed... um, sort of feel to the games um, from a fan perspective, from a crowd perspective. And then once you get into the 85th minute, if the game's close, there's a much bigger <laughs> sort of emotional pull to these games where it doesn't matter your opponent, doesn't matter the quality of player uh, that you have fielded um, on your own team or the opponent, you want to win it suddenly and you're really close and you know that if you lose it, that tournament is over and no player is happy about that. So Um, A lot of the sporting personnel and a lot of the marketing personnel in the league have questions, to put it mildly, um, about the wisdom of this. And so, once again, it's pretty hard to see this as anything other than making what makes the most sense for the bottom line, um, regardless of what's best for the sport. 
Fascinating. Jeff Reuter, The Athletic, everybody check him out. His article on this was was great stuff. Uh, appreciate your time. I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much, man. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, anytime. Oh, man. That was, fa- <laughs> that was fascinating. And like we said at the start of this, I've seen – you know, the reaction to this, because I, I asked Jeff during it about the U.S. Open Cup and how, you know, I don't always know where this stands in the minds of of soccer fans in this country. Um, you know, so I wasn't sure how, like, just how angry the reaction would be to this. I knew that there would be an angry reaction, but it's been more than what I was expecting. Um, and so, you know, to hear him kind of lay it out, and I, I find it fascinating that this is not necessarily the league in one voice. Now, look, I don't know. You know, Jeff said he's spoken to some people within clubs that are like, what is this? Owners are another matter because their their focus focus is probably different than that of maybe every single other person in the club, aside from like the business manager. Um, What what do you think Arthur Blank thinks thinks down in in Atlanta? Doesn't give a flying U.S. open, open what now? Do I have to pay for a bus to go to? Some ground in uh, Matt, you know, they say they have to play it forward Madison. Uh, I'm not for that. I just, I just don't get why this was necessary. Like no. I know you talked about it with with it the Wenger. Necessary. You don't have to. You don't have to announce this. Right. You can say you can talk to your club owners and say, "Hey, look, guys, this is our general tenor towards this competition. You mu- first of all, you must be able to field in League's Cup. That's our big thing. But." You know, it'd be no harm if you rested, guys. No harm if you brought on twenty ones through or, or registered guys to play in the Open Cup and and play your next gen players or whatever. Do do that. Like the only thing, to, the, the only thing that put I put it on record that you're on this. Right. The only thing that I could think of as to why that would be is because there's like there's maybe the, a bit of an embarrassment factor that they're trying to avoid. Like if they start losing a lot of these U.S. Open Cup matches to lower level teams, there's there's maybe some embarrassment there that they want to weed that out because they want to keep yeah. MLS propped up as as the clear cut king of soccer in this country. But there's also maybe there's also part of it is like we don't necessarily want to trick our fans. Like we want we do want to let everyone know like if you are going to one of these games, here's what you're going to see. Like if you wanted to go to that LA Galaxy game because you thought you were going to see you know, Ricky Pooge and guys like that, like we're letting you know now you're not going to. So like know that. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, they didn't want to be deceitful. I, I don't know. Maybe there's other I reasons remember, that I'm I'm not smart enough to to know. I mean, the your comment on the embarrassment of the league, like getting beaten by sides like that, that there's probably a lot in that. Um, I mean, it was hilarious for what was it? Two years running NYCFC who were like, I think it was their first two years in M as, as an entity. And they, they were drawn against the New York Cosmos, who were then in the NASL, which is now defunct. And uh, and Cosmos beat them twice. And it was amazing. And at one, in one of the games, Mix Discarude, who was starting for the U.S. during qualification, was captain. Like, they, they, NYCFC put out decent teams, and they still got beaten by, uh, by Cosmos. And I remember that being a huge embarrassment for, for the league, and also bloody hilarious. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, this stuff. Sacramento was in the final two years ago. Like this stuff happens. That's great, but but it's great. It's, I think it's, so it's too. Awesome. Like, I mean, but we should. We've talked about MLS. What owners, what players are thinking, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we should mention the MLS Players Association is in lockstep with the league and the league owners on this. They're towing the line. They basically uh, it was. I think it was in August a blanket statement that our players don't really enjoy playing in this tournament. 
I, which, I mean, if you were to poll every single individual player, I doubt that would be the consensus. I'm sure there'd be mixed feelings. I'm sure it's, but anyway, uh, but we should talk about the guys who this hurts. And this is the lower league player. Chris Baker is a player. And he, li- he listens to the podcast. Hi, can you please touch on the MLS team's decision to not compete in the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup? I play for one of the amateur teams that qualified for the tournament proper this year. Uh, Varingen, Eritzeburger in uh, Pennsylvania. So they're really going Dutch still out there in PA. And we are extremely disappointed by the, the decision. Honestly, we're gutted. Worked our whole lives to be able to have moments like this where we're drawn into a tournament with the like of the Union, the Miami, uh, Miami crew, etc. And there's even a... He sent me a link to an article. I'll post the link on our Twitter, which has got the... Um, it's got all the players and they've got the banner. Qualified. You know, they've come, they've worked damn hard to work up to the divisions to get into the U.S. Open Cup. And now, um, now that's taken away from them. That's not right. Okay, this is, MLS is a Johnny come lately compared to this tournament. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they should not get the, they should not, if they want to play by the rules, if they want to be part, part of the firmament of U.S. soccer, then they have to play by the rules the same as anybody else. And they can't make it up uh, as they go along to suit their revenue stream, and also to suit Apple. I'm sure Apple is uh, probably, considering the deal they signed, has been in MLS's ear saying, okay, we don't have the rights to this tournament, Yes, yet your teams that are, are pretty much exclusively signed to us are playing in this. Why, why is that happening? We're not getting a cut of that pie. You can send any other players, but you're not sending the big guys. They've got to be able to play and be fit to play in our tournaments. Um, but it's important to think about Chris Baker and guys like him. And, yeah. um, it's not fair. No, it's it, it is, is deeply unfair, and it's not in the it's not in the tradition of of football. And also, what what Jeff touched on it there, and this this will be my final point on it for now because it's going to come up again. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we view football clubs? What are they? Are they are they solely for profit, as MLS views them, and has and has clearly shown to be solely for profit? Energizing a fan base does not mean getting a great crowd out. It means having them buy merch, buy tickets, buy subscriptions, pay for their Apple subscription. That's clearly what MLS thinks. But if football clubs are, they're something different. They're community. They're institutions. And the MLS supporters uh, union clearly thinks that of them as community of institutions and that they should be part of the broader and wider U.S. soccer community. And there is a clear divergence of opinion here between what MLS really wants which is money and what the supporters really want which is an inclusive soccer community and a community and a culture to be proud of it's the great argument that's all it's in almost every thread of of us life of life in this country what do we want do we want something for the greater good or something for the good of the great Fascinating. Uh, and our thanks again to Jeff Reuter from The Athletic, who was great talking about this. Um, JJ, that's uh, that's about all I got. You're off to Ireland in 48 I, hours? I am off to Ireland. So I, I will say right now, um, no guarantees there'll be a second pod this week. That's Whoa! I'm yeah, I'm, I'm flying to Ireland. I've got to spend some there's some family time that needs to be spent. And uh, and I, there will be pods throughout the throughout the seasonal period. So don't, don't you worry your little heart. And it's a chance for people to catch up. What? Uh, this is I'm learning this with the rest of you right now in real time. This is this Should is I news to me. Production talk uh, to end the podcast, probably not. But um, <laughs> but listen, um, yeah, going to Ireland on Wednesday. Um, bringing my daughter home. 
Wow. That's that's very nice. I'm happy for you. I think you're gonna have a, a very nice time. Do you have when you go back to Ireland, do you have plans or is it just like oh, I'm just gonna go home and see my family? Or or do you well, are you still never... doing day trips to Dublin? Are you are you no, going to the cliffs? Jesus Christ, Dublin. <laughs> oh, couldn't think of anything worse. I get in, Whoa. get in my car. Unless it's something someone I need to see in Dublin, like my family, like my uncle, like my uncles. Uh you're not going you know, to the Guinness co- factory? Oh gee. Okay. I am. I am. I'm gonna go to the Guinness factory. That's what I'm going to do. I'm no double-decker the... bus tour? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how Americans do it. I honestly don't. I, I just, that's not me. I get the rental car. I'm going to strap everybody in, get JJ, a coffee. There's a, there's a prison in Dublin called Kilmainham. I took a tour of it. Oh. It was fascinating. I highly yeah. recommend it, okay? I've done it already, and it's oh, very important. Okay. But, you know, it's kind of more important to go home and see my family rather than ponder our 1916 rebel dead in Kilmainham jail. And I don't need a meditation on how the Brits screwed us. I just need to get home for Christmas. When I was there, JJ, I, I took a tour of this this facility. It was called the Dublin Castle. It was very interesting. A guided tour. Uh, it is. It's great. Highly it's recommend. Cool. The yeah. Dublin Castle. <laughs> Such a tourist. Hey, listen, it's a great town. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good town. It's a great town. See, the I Guinness should... factory, JJ, has a bar at the top. And you which can is, see the whole provides city. these incredible vistas. You can see no. into Wicklow. It, it's really something. I highly recommend JJ. No, I, I need to get home and see see people, Andrew. Oh, okay. okay, right. Stop <laughs> stop doing the Irish tourist board on me, will you? <laughs> well, have fun. I'm glad that your daughter's going to get to go back to Ireland. That's that's for the first time, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, very first time. I yeah. want her to feel the soil hmm. and just realize that she's an American. She's also connected to a land across the sea. All that misty-eyed nonsense. Nice. Uh, that's that's beautiful. No, I just Enjoy want my dad it. to see my daughter. That's it. Uh, that that's ba- basically it. Yeah. Well, good stuff. And you're going to buy a t-shirt at the airport. Um, JJ, I yeah. enjoyed this immensely. It's <laughs> me. I'm Irish in the Guinness factory <laughs> with Kilmainham Jail and the Dublin Castle. <laughs> yep, exactly right. Our thanks again to Jeff Ruder from The Athletic. He was awesome uh, discussing this topic. JJ, have a good flight to you, I say... Take you later, phone boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.